Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. This week we listen in to Pastor Paul as he preaches a challenging message from John chapter 9 about how to include those in our lives that we don't normally want to. Let's listen in. We are, as a reminder of Lewis and First NAS, a growing community of all generations intentionally doing life together. No, wait, back up. Intentionally following Jesus, graciously doing life together, serving joyfully, and loving everyone. Today is a sermon that we are looking at this idea of loving everyone. Loving everyone challenges us because everyone means everyone. <laughs> we, we intentionally made loving everyone a part of our vision statement and who we want to be as a congregation because we wanted, every time we think about who we are, we wanted to be challenged by the reality that we are called as a church to love everyone, not just the people that are really easy to love, not just some. Uh, we are called as a congregation we believe God has placed us right here so that we would love everyone. Today, the, the passage we're looking at reminds us that there are times where, where people's reality, the reality of people's lives, they bristle against us. They bristle against us. They make us feel like maybe we can't love that person well. Like maybe we don't, we don't have the ability to love that person well. Or maybe that, like, there's just, for, for whatever reason, there, there, is, there is friction, and it keeps us from loving that person well. In, in the passage we're, we're looking at today, the friction was a physical disability. And the community that should have loved a person who was born blind saw his, his disability as a reason to keep him on the outside. And so today we, we are inviting Jesus to, to call us to, to offer welcome genuinely. To genuinely welcome. And, and then maybe today we would, we, would be, we would be willing to reflect honestly on who we tend to leave out. So we're going we're gonna to start uh, by just getting the setup of the story here in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Go ahead, Tunisia. Did you have any, anything you wanted to add? Any, no jokes? No? Okay. She's saying no. Yeah. Michaela's helping her out saying no. Go ahead uh, and just give us John 9, verses 1 through 5. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. So people during Jesus' time were certain that a physical disability was a sign of sin, especially a physical disability from the time of birth, like this man who was born blind. And so when the disciples ask, was it because of his sin or because of his parents' sin, they were, they were simply repeating the narrative that they had heard all of their lives. That if somebody is born with something physically wrong, it, it is a sign that somebody sinned in this picture. 
Somebody has gone wrong. Somebody has done wrong in order for this to have happened. Because in the worldview of, of first century uh, Jewish community, there weren't accidents. There, there, weren't, there weren't, you know, there wasn't bad luck. There was God punishing people for sin, and there was God blessing people for doing right, and, and any good or bad was simply an outgrowth of that. Jesus, on multiple occasions, tries to, to tell his disciples, you know what? Sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes there, there is such a thing as bad luck. He doesn't use the word luck, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't contribute every bad thing that happens to a person's sin. In fact, there's a story in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus mentions 18 people who were killed when, when a tower, the Tower of Siloam, fell on them. And Jesus, Jesus talks about the common belief of the time. And that because those people were killed in that collapse of that tower, obviously those people were sinners. They were terrible people. They deserved to die. Accidents don't happen like that. Come on. A tower falls on somebody? That was God's punishment, obviously, according to to Jesus' peers. Jesus says straight out, though, do, do you really think those were the worst 18 sinners in the city of Jerusalem? You really honestly think that the, the collection of the most wicked 18 people had just placed themselves under the Tower of Siloam by accident or by God's, by God's wrath in order for God to make a tower collapse on them? Jesus ridicules that idea. Jesus says, there's no way. There's no way that happened. It was, it was a tower that fell over. It was, it was poor construction. It was... It was uh, bad, bad building practice. It was people in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so Jesus, Jesus takes this idea that accidents automatically point to God's wrath on sin as, as just a non-starter. It's not, it's not how God treats humanity. That is not the way God interacts with people. But it's important to, to recognize the implications of seeing disability or accidents as, as an outgrowth of sin. It's important because we have to, we have to consider uh, then when we come to a passage where there is a man who was born blind, we have to, we have to consider what his, his bad fate as someone who was, who was born blind has done to him. He is considered, or his parents are considered, automatically, to have been sinners. They're sinners. There is sin in this household. The boy or the parents, there's sin somewhere. And so as a religious community, the Jews' way of dealing with that was saying, uh, sinners, stay at an arm's length. We don't want your sin close to us. It, it made the man a beggar. The man had grown to the point where, where he's, he's an adult, we're going to read a little bit later how he can speak for himself. He's, he's a beggar. But not only, not only was he economically unable to provide for himself, he was considered by the religious community as unclean. He was unclean, and so he couldn't participate in the worship in the temple. He wasn't welcomed into the full communal life of his own people and nation because they were afraid that his sin would get them dirty too. 
They, they didn't want to, to allow someone who might get them dirty into the synagogue, into the, the people in, in any corner of society. This man would have been unwelcome. But Jesus is, is going to show us in this passage how the way things are are not necessarily the way things are supposed to be. And, and we see Jesus' reaction to the man in verses 6 through 12. Go ahead, Tanisha. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, no, he is just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. So this miracle, this healing is very unique. Uh, the, the way that Jesus makes mud, you know, first of all, yuck, right? Um, it's kind of icky. Uh, I won't illustrate for you. You're welcome. Uh, it's just kind of icky. But the, the way that Jesus does it, the, the physical making of mud uh, was work. The physical making of mud was work. Work as in thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy, right? This, is, this was work. And so this, this event happened on a Sabbath day. Uh, we're, we're about to find that out later on in the passage. But this making mud, it was decisively work. In fact, John uses a word in the Greek to, that is, is, is very, very um, pointedly a, a work word. It is, it is a doing word. And then the miracle of healing, that also decisively work. Other places where Jesus heals on the Sabbath, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they get all up in arms because he is, he is doing the work of healing on the Sabbath. That is, that is a non-starter. The, that, you know, there are six days of the week for doing good to other people, save the Sabbath for other things. And, and so Jesus has committed a major series of errors in his own religious culture. And, and Jesus, uh, then he, he does the, the mud and tells him to go to the pool of Siloam. It's interesting to me that Jesus sends him to the pool of Siloam. It, this story that begins with, with an automatic assumption that somebody has sinned because there's something bad has happened. Uh, go to the pool of Siloam. It's the tower of Siloam in Luke chapter 13 that falls on somebody. And so I don't know what to do with that, uh, but I'm, my email box is open for your interpretation of why the, it, it means scent, why, why the scent uh, tower and the scent pool are, are figure into these kinds of stories. I, I, yeah, I'll leave you to ponder. But Jesus then, he, he sends the man away and he doesn't, he doesn't like follow him and say, oh, did it work? I can't wait to see, you know? He, he just lets the man go. He just lets the man go to the pool and, and clean his eyes off. And, and um, 
the, he, he doesn't deal, Jesus doesn't deal with the consequences of his actions. Jesus doesn't walk around arm in arm with him and say, look at all that I have done in healing this man. He just sort of lets the man go into his community and the man appearing in his community, being able to see, it causes a stir as it would, right? It, it causes a stir. This is, this is someone who everybody in the town has known as the guy who's been sitting it, probably in the same spot day after day, week after week, year after year, begging for his, his existence, begging for, for just a little bit of a gift so that he can afford to eat. And, and here he is, obviously able to see. And people, people are, are saying, no, no way. He just, that guy, that just looks like that one guy. No, no, it, it can't be. Notice in this, there, there, what's not being said, what's not, what's not really clear, what, or what's not explicit, these are the man's neighbors. These are the people who saw him every day. Even his neighbors, who are pretty impressed by the fact that he can see and are about to celebrate the idea that he can see, can't just say, hey, aren't you Tom? Uh, don't I know your parents? Nobody, nobody, his neighbors don't know him. He, he has not been allowed to have normal human relationships. He's been on the outside, even, even of people being willing to stop and ask him his name, to know the sound of his voice. He, he has simply been an object on the, on the side of the road. So when the neighbors are finally convinced, it, it is me. The man pipes up. He says, I, I promise, I, I'm the one. I'm the one. Their immediate reaction, <laughs> their immediate reaction is not, whoa, no way, you've been healed. That's amazing. Their immediate reaction is, who did this to you? Who did this to you? And, and their next action is to take a healed man to, to a group of religious people. And the religious people don't, don't seem to be ready to praise God for this incredible miracle either. They, they are concerned. They are concerned. They voice their concerns in verses 13 through 17. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not for God, from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What is your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. 
So the man goes from being nothing in the sight of the Pharisees, just a blind beggar who's, who's worth passing by every day and not even noticing. Uh, he, he goes from that uh, to, to being nothing more than, than a potential witness to a religious crime. He, he, has, he has moved from, from being this sort of fixture, part of the scenery, beggar on the outskirts of, of life, to, to being somebody who maybe could be useful if he could turn over and, and give us uh, a criminal to, to punish. And, and so by performing the miracle, mixing the mud to do so, Jesus, Jesus kind of picks at, by doing it on the, on the Sabbath, he, he picks at the sad reality of the importance that religious people placed on, on those who they were able to look down their noses at. And, and especially, especially this man who was disabled and, and anybody who doesn't fit the, the rigid norms that they had placed. The fact that a religious law had been broken is way more important, way more important to the religious leaders than, than the fact that this man has given, been, been given a new lease on life, right? From, from begging to, to sight, uh, to be able to to work and, and provide for himself, like uh, a, new, a new kind of dignity for this man. The reality that he could, he could potentially now be welcomed into the religious community. He could be, he could be welcomed into to life. He, he has a completely new identity in, in that culture, for, for bad or for good. You know, we, we can't really um, make a judgment call on on the exclusion of the man uh, and, and the embrace of the man once he's healed. But, but I, I mean, he, he has this new, this new life has been given to him. And the only concern, the only concern the religious leaders have is the fact that a law may have been broken. They can't get beyond the day of the week that it happened on. And, and this... This is what religion and legalism do to us. Uh, it, it makes people unable to see others as, as worthy of our concern. It, religion and, and legalism, it makes us cold. Jesus is so unwilling to be calculating in, in the way that the Pharisees are. Because when you watch Jesus, honoring God matters to Jesus, right? Obedience to God matters to Jesus. It matters deeply. Jesus wants to give glory to God in everything he does. And all of those things mean so much to Jesus that he's willing to give someone the dignity to do those things, regardless of, of whether it's the right day of the week or not. Jesus, Jesus is is tied up in, in the reality and the fact that, that this man could, could bring glory to God in a new and spectacular way if, if he would just interact with him. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. The Pharisees, caught up in the trap of religion, are, are, have, have completely missed the character of God. They, they, they no longer see God as welcoming and loving they, they are so focused on compliance with the regulations 
in the name of giving God glory, right? Like, wouldn't it be, it would give God glory if everybody would obey the rules here. Come on. Uh, and they, they, miss, they miss the human beings that are the ones who actually give God the glory. And, and so this nothing man in the eyes of the religious leaders is, he's actually deemed incapable of giving his own testimony. <laughs> his, his, the, the religious leaders look at him and say, eh, let's not listen to this joker anymore. Let's see, let's see about his parents. Let, I doubt this actually happened. Let's get somebody else in here who knows, who knows something. And so the Pharisees, in their, in their continual dismissal of this man who has been healed, they, they go looking for other witnesses. We read about it in verses 18 through 23. Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can you see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we, do, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who would announce that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That is why they said he is old enough. Ask him. So we, we understand the story that the religious people had been telling themselves about this man and his parents all along, right? All along, the, his parents had been kind of viewed with suspicion. It was probably, let's just be honest with ourselves. Yeah, the guy, the guy's suffering consequences, but it was probably his parents' sin. They probably, you know, they killed somebody and didn't tell anybody. Uh, they have some skeletons in their closets. Let's just be, let's be honest with them ourselves. And, and so, with, with this view of, of the parents being the prevailing belief, the parents come into the presence of these religious officials with all kinds of trepidation to begin with. They, they, have, they have suffered much uh, at the hands of these religious leaders already because they had the misfortune of having a child who was born without the ability to see. And, and so here, here are these parents. Uh, they know their tenuous standing in the community. They're called to give a witness. And, and again, I just see how, how this legalistic religion is so dark and destructive. These parents who, can you imagine your own child going from from being blind to being able to see, their, their hearts would have come alive in a new way for their boy. They, they ought to have been just overjoyed. Like calling the whole neighborhood together to have a party, right? And, and then here they are, made to fear that their words would throw them back into peril with their religious superiors and with the community. And if, if we contrast that with how Jesus talks about himself, 
Jesus talks about himself at the beginning of this passage, the, the light of the world who, who has dawned to combat the darkness that is prevailing and creeping in on all of creation. Th that contrast is on full display with this dark and heavy and punitive attitude of the religious leaders. And so the parents, they redirect. They redirect. They say he's old enough. They decide that it's, it's not worth the heat to speak on behalf of their son. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. They've been through it before. The pain that has, has so frequently been felt by them due to, to his disability um, sort, of, sort of cruelly they say, just talk to the boy. Talk to our son. He's a grown man. He can talk for himself. Talk, talk to him. Ooh. It, it, it seems like the, <clears throat> the only way that the, the parents can, can maintain their religious standing, their standing in the community, is to say, don't, don't ask us any more questions. And so out of fear for their, for their own necks and for their own souls, they defer to their son. And their son comes before the, the Pharisees in verses 24 through 34. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, said the, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. But we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. The best lines in the passage are right here, right? I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I know that I was blind and now I see. Woo, that's, uh, that's a great one. And then you can't, you can't not repeat, do you want to become one of his disciples too? Uh, the, the man <laughs> that's the... the hero here. Uh, I, I just love it. I love that he gets the best lines. This is one of my favorite miracle stories, and, and it's, it's the man who has been outcast so, so long that, that has these just powerful, powerful words for the religious leaders. It's so good. The reaction of the religious leaders, though, reveals their, their ongoing continued hardness of heart, their, their inability to admit any exception to the way they know things to be 
because of their confidence in their own religious superiority. Uh, these, these religious leaders, they, they can't say that they are wrong in any way. They can't admit anything other than, than doubling down on the fact that this man is a sinner. As though their last words are, you're a total sinner and you want to lecture us. You're a total sinner. You want to lecture us. And so they use one of the favorite weapons of the diligently religious, which is, which is exclusion. Uh, they, they say, you are not welcome here anymore. They kick him out of the synagogue. It means that he can't even go and receive religious instruction from religious professionals any longer. Um, and, and they have the power to do it. This man is obviously refusing unquestioned compliance that is required of those who, who sit under religious tyrants. And so they, uh, they do what they can do. They kick him out. But Jesus doesn't let the man's story end with exclusion. And John, John shows us what happens when Jesus gets one more chance at an outcast in verses 35 through 41. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think that they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. So in these last few verses, Jesus, Jesus reveals his expectation of the man he's healed. Uh, Jesus' expectation is belief. Would you believe in me? Would you believe and, and it is belief that leads to worship, right? It's not just, it's not just like a, an understanding or, or a belief of, of something like, I believe that this table is solid in here. It is, it is worship. It is, I will, I will trust you with my life. I will, I will put myself in the position of, of trusting you and depending on you. The religious leaders, they want this rigid compliance with the law, and, and that's what religious do, religion does to people. Uh, we, we demand compliance, right? We demand compliance. The church, uh, we at times, we react against demanding compliance, don't we? At, at times in, in the church, we are tempted to say, okay, we've gone overboard with rules, Let's just throw them all out. Uh, in, and in the name of, of accepting everyone, of loving everyone, we, we say there are no barriers. There, there is nothing that, that a person must do in order to be, to be okay with God, to be, to be a, a full member of, of the, the community. And, and, and we, try to, we try to remove remove boundaries, and what we end up with is, is what the, the philosophical word is, antinomianism, lawlessness. 
uh, we, we end up with, without any expectation on any person. But, but this passage shows that, that Jesus' way through the discussion isn't just towing the middle line. It's, it's not embracing of, of the, the rules and, and the law and the rigid compliance of it. And it's not saying there is no rule you need to follow. There's nothing you need to do. You're just okay, come to me. Jesus, Jesus doesn't toe the middle. He doesn't choose one side. He, he gives the kingdom response. The kingdom response is to be to have a genuine encounter with Jesus and to let Jesus transform you. Transformation is it goes far beyond just following rules for the sake of following rules. Transformation doesn't understand following rules for the sake of following rules. And transformation also refuses to leave people bound in the lives that miss the joy of obedience to God. And so Jesus deals with sin differently throughout, throughout the Gospels. Um, but he, he has this, this vision in mind of welcoming people into his kingdom as he does it. Uh, and, and it's interesting, one of the stories where Jesus deals with sin is another story where he also deals with disability. In Matthew chapter 9, there's the, the story of the man uh, who is paralyzed. Jesus sees the man laying there on his mat, and he says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's not until after he has forgiven the man's sins that he heals him. He heals him of his paralysis only as an illustration of the fact that he has the power to forgive sin. It's, it's sort of an afterthought, really. In another passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago of Jesus dealing with a known sinner in, in John chapter 8, uh, known sinner is like the opposite of an oxymoron, by the way. Like, it's a moron-moron. I don't know. Uh, it's, <laughs> hi, we're, we are all known sinners. Um, so, it, it's, uh, he deals with this known sinner, the, the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus, Jesus doesn't allow the, the tyrants, the religious rule followers, to do what they want to do, which is, which is stone her. But, they, but Jesus also says, as, as you are welcome into life, a life that can bring glory to God, go and don't sin anymore. And then here, this conversation begins with the assumption that sin has led to the man's blindness. John 9 begins with the question from the disciples, right? Who sinned? Who sinned? Why has this happened? Obviously, somebody has. And Jesus, he never addresses sin, right? There's never, there's never a point. Jesus, Jesus never talks about the man's sin. He asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in me? And, and his, the man's response reveals that he's, he gets it. He gets it. He says, yeah, yeah, I believe. And his belief led him to worship Jesus. See, in all these stories, especially the story of the man born blind, Jesus is, is looking to expand the boundaries of his kingdom. People, 
people like this man, people with disabilities, who were automatically outside of the community of saints before, are, are welcomed in. Jesus says in, this, in these last verses here, physical blindness is so much less a concern than the type of spiritual blindness that the known saints are apt to have. And, and for the religious among us, <laughs> this is, uh, I'm, I am professionally religious here, so uh, I'm taking cover. For, for the religious among us, coming to this story in the season of Lent it reminds us of our, of our need for repentance. Our need to repent from placing boundaries on the kingdom of, of heaven because of our prejudice. Our need to repent of, of behavior that has ostracized others and, and made life more difficult for others for whom life is already difficult. We, are, we need to repent from, from our fixation on rules being broken to the extent that we, we fail to see individuals as human beings, especially rule breakers, right? If, if we are going to be a church that, that values, as we say we do, loving everyone, we, we have to, to repent of our oversight or our dismissal of those who don't fit our preferred mold of what a Christian should look like. And we have to remember that, that repentance, then, it comes with action. Repentance, it, you know, it's, it is turning away. It is it's physically putting, putting feet to what we say we are no longer interested in. And that means that, that we have to, if we are going to repent of, of putting up boundaries, uh, of ostracizing others, it, it means that we actively choose to welcome those we would be, we would be prone not to, to welcome. It, it means that, that we are we are called to actively pursue relationship with the people we are tempted to pull away from. That we are, we are supposed to actively make space for those that we would hold at an arm's length. So, church... Let's go. I mean, that's, that, that's, here we go into a new week, into a new week where today when you go to a restaurant, you're probably going to come into contact with somebody that you would naturally want to hold at an arm's length. You're going to go to work tomorrow and, and find those people that, that you say, ah, I'm glad I don't go to church with them. You're, you're going to interact with people all over our community that, 
by, by our inclination, simply because we're human. Simply because we're, we're human, we're not, we're not perfected completely in the image of Christ yet. Simply because of who we are, we, we say, I don't, I don't really have space for that, that type of person in my life. And so, here we go. We're called, we're called to make space. I think I'll pray for you and, and let, you, let you go practice a little bit. Why don't you stand and, and I'll, I'll pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, all of us can relate to the way the Pharisees so, um, so clearly see others as simply objects. Um, we, we hate to admit it, God, but we, we relate very easily to the Pharisees in this chapter who, who say, like, uh, that person's obviously a sinner because they've had bad things happen to them. God, we, we unfortunately, <clears throat> God, we repent of, of the way that we have made parents of children with disabilities suffer. And we repent, God, of, of trying to hold at an arm's length those that you would call your beloved children those that you would welcome to believe in you and worship you. And, and so, God, um, we, we need your help just putting this into action. This, this repentance, it can't end at the end of a, of a sermon on a Sunday morning. If, we're, if we are really repentant, if we really want to repent, God, uh, we, will, we will act as those who who make space, who provide welcome, who, who erase the, the lines that we would say somebody needs to, to walk across, um, that, that we wouldn't see our own compliance with the rules as reasons to, to put ourselves above others. And so help us, God. Help us as we go into this week, knowing that we will encounter people who, who we, by our own tendency, would hold in an arm's length. Help us to embrace those. Help us to, to find the individual behind the sinner. Help us to, to find the, the person behind the one who is, who is serving us in our economy. And help us, Lord, to, to see those who, who are placed on the sideline because of disability as, as folks who are completely capable of, of full participation in relationship and worthy of our love and time and attention. We, we are going to pray the dangerous prayer, Lord, that you would, you would give us a chance to practice this this week. That from this place, you, 
you would put us in situations where, where we can show your welcome and your love. That we might see others begin to, to believe in and worship Jesus. We thank you, God. Thank you for, for walking alongside us and working in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the First Naz Podcast. We hope you listen in next week and that we get a chance to see you in person sometime soon.